Hey everyone, this is Sam with a brief PSA before the podcast starts. Snipe and Wib of YouTube fame are going to be running a 24-hour charity stream on Twitch on August 31st. All the proceeds will be going to an LGBTQ organization. So please give the stream a checkout, uh, give it a share, and if you are able to afford the funds, you know, give it a little donation. All the money is going to a great cause, and Snipe and Wib have the full support of the Sigmarxism Discord, as well as the podcast. All right, so give Snipe and Wib a checkout, and check out that stream as of August 31st. Thank you so much. Enjoy the podcast. The world of sound is governed by exact numbers. The world of vision is governed by exact numbers. Well, it's clear that it must begin from two experiences on which our visual world is based. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sick Marxism Podcast. It is a beautiful day here on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, Welcome you to another episode, of course. I am your host, Sam, and as always, this episode will be edited by Rich. Rich, thank you so much for everything. Uh, today, I am joined by Alex, of course. Alex, how are you doing? Hello. Um, I can paint. I just choose not to. Yeah. All right. And, of course, returning, returning to us is our beloved Zoomer, Danny. Danny coming back from another bougie-ass vacation, but it's okay because he's blowing uh, rich parents' money. Uh, Danny, how are you doing? Uh, that's actually a rather accurate statement, but also, uh, my, I don't know, my state, my, my vacation was actually very working class cause I went to Pittsburgh and like West Virginia. So it's not like last time where I was often gallivanting around Italy and trying all the wines and bringing back some limoncello. It was more like, uh, going to old coal towns and being depressed because everyone is depressed there. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, you had to go through, you had to go drive through the beautiful Pennsylvania countryside. Alexa, I feel so sad. Alexa, play Despacito. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to, I had to drive around and I had to take a, a grandfather clock. I had, yeah, I had to slum around these Pennsylvania, around these Pennsylvania hicks. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! And but joining us today, uh, who is not uh, being classes is all heck. <laughs> uh, we have Luke coming on. Luke, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'm doing all right today. It's a bit warm in Scotland, which is a bit of a paradox. But there you go. Yeah, it's, oddly enough, it's beautiful here in the United States. Not politically, but. Uh, so, uh, Luke, if you wouldn't mind, a little introduction to yourself, who you are, uh, how are you involved in this Warhammer hobby of ours? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm not anyone special. I'm just a hobbyist, a painter. I occasionally write articles um, about games and sometimes Warhammer, but not very frequently. Uh, and uh, I think I just got um, poached on Twitter because I shared some opinions and they weren't awful. Uh I'm generally a hobbyist in terms of just painting and stuff. Uh, I don't play so often, but I I'm part of a different podcast Discord network, and they have a lot of really cool people that I get to meet up with every so often. And yeah, it's one of the few safe havens that I've found for the hobby uh, outside of the Sig Marxism Discord. Uh, as a nice place to go. That's it. That's it. All right, we'll we'll transfer the five dollars after the uh, official podcast endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, Rich, 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 cut that out. 
what, what is you're saying that you're trying to find a safe space what what a liberal you know <laughs> how how uh, how dare you uh right. don't you I, it, I don't yeah. even know what I'm trying to like insult you for. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Daniel. I think you might have been uh, gotten around the conservatives a little too much, where like where they get like too mad and they're not able to finish their point about like what they're trying to insult said lefties about. But except instead, you just ha- you just suffer from brain worms yeah. <laughs> from consuming from like ironically consuming so much conservative media. It's just your brain's unable to form coherent sentences and keep the left side and the right side cogent anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I've just been uh, t- arguing with my dad about socialism too much, so you know, it, that that'll do it. Alrighty, uh, so what we kind of want to talk about today for our first topic is we have a little bit of news. Uh, they sort of revealed the bind of, by, uh, tithe of bones, excuse me, uh, on the Warhammer Community News. We have Aeronautica Imperialis being released, which is just kind of a little epic scale game that they seem to be releasing along with it, like that they did Adeptus Titanicus last year. And then, of course, but the big thing is, yeah, the Tithe of Bones, where we see it's like a sort of Tomb King Rhino hybrid, like a little bit technology. And it looks like the models that they've shown, well, not actual models, but the artwork that they've shown look really cool. And uh, Alex, as the person who loves Tomb Kings the second most on the Discord, um, how do you feel about this? Well, I mean, that that's a lot of responsibility. I'm, I'm sure there are people who love them even more than I. But yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. I've always liked the aesthetic. Um the art makes it look like they're kind of updating a lot of the old Tomb King stuff, like the Screaming Skull catapults and kind of various riders, and and making it more in line with like the Morgasts, which are which have that sort of Egyptian look, but also have like more boxy and bone sort of decorated armor. Like it's bones on bones, boneception basically. Um, so yeah, it 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 will probably be very nice, but. I imagine that we'll have to wait a little while to actually see the things in the, not flesh, um, in the bones, I guess. In, I don't want to bones. say bones too many times, otherwise we get flagged <laughs> as a not safe for work podcast. Yeah, the boner tithe. There we go. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> That's, That's the name of the episode now. Yeah. Woo. No, mm-hmm. uh, but also, I was I was also hearing about um, looking at um, Reddit. People were saying that there is also apparently um, the music in the background of the video is like Mongolian music, like with throat singing. Yeah, I think there's kind of been this like Pan Asian slash maybe like Mongolian theme creeping into them to kind of take them away from generic Egypt, which, as you all know, you can't you can't copyright Egypt, so you're gonna have to mm. copyright something else, which is. But, but you can Scott. copyright Kurdistan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> AOS White They could get there first. <laughs> this is why Kurdistan doesn't have a state. It's because Disney copyrighted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. GW needs to make a, a Kurdish army. And <laughs> actually, have you seen have you seen the meme where people were saying that since the emperor comes from Anatolia, he is actually Kurdish and he's going to bring back Kurdistan? Um, <laughs> That's oh probably why it was on the mind. But I mean, yeah. So um, I mean, Luke, you you're right to say that they are kind of drawing on a bit more than just the one reference, uh, which is kind of the, the whole deal we were talking about last week with cultural pastiche. But um, yeah. that means that they'll ditch all of the kind of like statuesque and um, whatever they, I can't remember what they're called, you know, the big like Anubis and Horus. Oh, the, con- yeah, the, con- the, con- the shop deconstructs, yeah. Yeah, the constructs. I wonder if they'll all be gone in this new army and it'll just be more kind of like generic bone rattle men, but with a kind of like vaguely, you know, 
Pan-Asian like, vibe. Like Skeletor, it. but he's Mongolian now. Yeah. Well, it also should be <laughs> mentioned that the music that they use, it, they've just luckily made this kind of deal with all the people that they license their uh, the, the IP to, that they get to use their uh, music. So you'll just hear lots of like Total War music or... You sometimes you hear Vermintide music in their trailers. Like they just yeah. now have a library of shit that they can use for trailers. Yeah, of, of stuff that they didn't have to create themselves. Of yeah, like exactly. Stealing from other people's labors basically is an exchange process for uh, get for selling their IP, which is an interesting little thing. We might talk about that a little bit later on the topic. Um, what I kind of wanted to talk about, that was really all there was in terms of news. We'll, we'll talk about it more when we get official model lines and stuff like that. But uh, So I kind of wanted to talk about with Luke, with the press preparation, it's like, why do we like the hobby? Uh, what do we find enjoyable about the hobby? And why do we put up with the hobby when most of the community has decided to take a no true Scotsman route? I mean, the same thing kind of happens with video games where no matter what, leftists will never enjoy the hobby in the right manner. So, Luke, I kind of want to start off with you. Like, what do you enjoy about the hobby? And, like, why do you continue to stick with it despite all the uh, awful community? <laughs> uh, I'm old enough to have like bought second edition when it first came out. And, oh God, um, Jesus! Yeah, and I stuck stuck with it through a little bit. Through, but I was only like ten or twelve or thirteen at the time. I can't remember exactly. And it, I think most people when they're that young just didn't never were like butterflies when it came to hobby. So I had I had bits of Eldar, bits of Skaven, Tau when they first came out. Um, eventually ditched it about about the time that Demon knights codex came out so that was like the gray knights um demon hunters codex so it was like gray knights and like special imperial units and i ditched it and then for years never really bothered getting back into it it always looked like a total mess from the outside it was always super expensive or it seemed to be super expensive uh and then i went to uni and i was doing freelance writing occasionally and i was doing uni work and i was playing games and watching films and i did literature and film at uni so i had to watch a lot of film and tv uh, and I was working an office job part-time, and I just spent so much time looking at screens. I just wanted a hobby that was not looking at screens anymore. And I, I think I'd been playing a lot of Total Warhammer, and I think this probably rings true to a lot of people about my age. Like, Total Warhammer came out, but Fantasy was dead. And I was like, well, let's look at Age of Sigma and let's see what's happening there. And I went into Games Workshop and priced a bunch of stuff up and realized that third-party shops sold stuff for cheaper than GW did and just kind of fell back into the painting side. I don't really like playing too much because, as you say, most of the hobbies just like actively... Oh, I no, there's a lot of actively awful people in the hobby, but just in general, it's the same kind of nerds and gamers and people that, you know, they want to win. I don't really care about the winning um i don't really care about the rule sets being super tight because they're not they're just they never are about games. they never <laughs> are well i mean i think i i think titanicus is a really good rule set but that's mm. you know that's a different thing um so i just got back into the painting a hobby side thing and it was actually really nice to have something especially these days something physical that once i'd painted something it was like okay here's a thing i've made because um, as much writing as you do and as much almost anything that you do online it feels really ephemeral all the time especially freelance articles you know you if you're not a regular named writer you can pump out something that you put a lot of work into and you know it gets it disappears in like 30 seconds of being on twitter and then it gets forgotten and no one ever talks about it ever again even worse you can be like my sister who like basically she does a little bit of freelance work but basically just ghost writes things where people are like hey uh write this article about all these good bars in this place because i don't want to write it and i'll pay you to write it instead for me 
Oh, and then you just, yeah, you basically, you know, just literally she does a Google search and then uh, writes like two words about it where it's like, this bar is good uh, and whatnot. And it's like, oh, uh, you, here's whatever sort of money and the, no credit is given. So that's, yeah, that's that's the state of a lot of uh, freelance writing and stuff like that. Or like the other thing is she's paid to write reviews for things that she hasn't even like bought or anything. So that's also... <laughs> Sketched fuck. Yeah, you, well, I, mean, I don't want a bibliography that's just full of Yelp reviews. That no, no one wants that. <laughs> uh, it's full yeah. of Yelp reviews of me yelling at my wait at the waiter and telling him how uh being the guy where it's like you have the five dollars on the table and every single time they fuck up you take a dollar away. It's just Yelp reviews. <laughs> oh. Every, oh, every single time Jesus. they fuck up you take one star away. One star. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So. Yeah, Luke, you were kind of talking about with uh, obviously just that you enjoy yeah, having, having a result. And I also find I, I I wrote something a couple of years ago just on like Medium um, that might be interesting to link at the end. Um, it didn't get a huge take up, but I think it resonated with a bunch of people. I did a podcast about this like about a year and a half ago um, about how I found that it was like I thought it was really good for my own like mental health, painting and having something to focus on and having an end result was just good. It's like I, this other podcast that i'm in the community for they once described painting warhammer as like um it takes all the difficulty out of art in a certain sense because the lines and everything's already there for you and you're sort of filling it in sure. and obviously you really you can get you, you know you've seen golden demon women is you can be really really good at it but it gives you a nice template to work from um and as like busy pe busy people with like know doing degrees part-time jobs and stuff it's nice to have part of the work done for you and then you can be creative with like a safety net because mm -hmm. you know for, you know you want to talk about positives and negatives of gw they meet really good models that paint really well and that's i think that's kind of it. even if you don't like some of the models they still paint well you know um it's very rare that they'll come out with something that just is a pain to paint because it's poorly textured or it's poorly conceived i think a lot of the smaller companies have great designers but maybe don't design super well for painting i think that's one thing they've always had on their side so it's a joy to paint them and that's yeah i've always i just i just i like the painting and i like the sense of progress and achievement that it brings and i think there's a there are some aspects of the ho the painting community the hobby side of the community that are actually some of the better parts of the wargaming miniatures gaming community in general um, but also I think as we'll probably talk about later, it's where some of the more like dubious and kind of unsavory, but kind of there are, there's definitely unsavory stuff there, but more just kind of like a, a viewpoint and a perspective on why you'd get into painting that I just feel is really alien to how I engage in the hobby. I think it's really interesting where you talked about, you know, as someone, as someone who does like a little bit of like trying to get into drawing on the side or like trying to get a little bit into art, like, you, I think, I think it's interesting that you talked about kind of, you know, it takes a little bit, um, makes it a little bit easier because like one of the hardest things to learn in art is basically what you have to do is you, you look at something in real life, you have to basically deconstruct it in your head and sort of reconstruct it on paper and figure out, you know, you know, drawing all the lines and saying, all right, so basically how do I take this thing, draw it simply in simple shapes, and then basically build it up from there. And, you know, that's kind of already been done for you with a lot of, a lot of the miniatures. So you can just, yeah. you know, paint them and basically uh, make it come to life even more rather than, you know, um, with some other art that it's just, it can be a slog to get through because like you, you'll, 
sit around trying to like draw one line or trying to figure out exactly what you want to do and then tell like oh man i don't like how this looked out and i'll go back and like before you even colored it like you're just you're just so like taken it gets really frustrating definitely uh yeah so kind of have to about that uh i think alex and i have kind of talked about why we've gone to it uh so alex if you just want to briefly talk about like what what your interest in the hobby is as well i mean i, I kind of share with with luke the uh preference for the hobby side i am a glacial hobbyist so i have this kind of thing where i don't think of myself as a hobby only gamer like in my head when i, I when i've got like a uh night vault yeah, the non-underworlds team or even the Sinesh army that i've been working on for longer than is strictly necessary to work on anything but like a human child um when I work on these projects uh, in my mind, I'm going to play them at some point. It's just, it takes me a fucking long time to get to that point. Um, so yeah, I would say that the, the, the hobby and painting side is my primary um, interest, especially because I quite like conversions. Um, so, I mean, the, the way I actually got back into the hobby properly um, after the lengthy gap that everyone has, you know, uh, past puberty, um, it's kind of rare that you get someone who's got like an unbroken um, hobby journey, but um, that was actually like converting some ogre man eaters from some old ogre bits I found and some green stuff, and I decided to like sculpt extra bits on them, and 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 it kind of went from there. So I, I ended up trying to like learn how to paint from some YouTube tutorials because I realized I can spend literally like days working on some intricate green stuff sculpt if i paint it and it's really shit then it was kind of a waste of time um so i i, I then realized that i would grudgingly have to kind of learn how to thin my paints and all this sort of stuff <laughs> definitely definitely and and so and then lastly of course danny um you're just getting into the hobby like you just um you shared with us you got first strike and you got war cry had a little issue with some of the bases but uh gw's customer service is pretty good to get about getting that yeah so obviously coming back from a mostly magic the gathering background um how has been the transition been and kind of what how do you feel about basically like taking your first steps it's it's been interesting i mean of course you have, i mean i just bought the warcry box so like that's expensive and you know it's like uh you know i'm trying to get a job as well and it's like oh man you need to stop spending money on all these games and stuff and it's like uh, I'll, I'll do it whatever but like the biggest thing for me with like the hobby is like i really um with the magic the gathering thing is it really helped me you know kind of come out of my shell and jo join a community that i think was um honestly pretty good about some stuff a lot of stuff like you find like a lot of the friends that you make at the store and kind of um you know play with all the time you, you form a bond with and so that's why i'm trying to see I'm, I'm trying to test the waters and see if around here i found a store that the owner seems pretty nice like literally um I, the other day i when i bought all this all this stuff i was driving home and realized oh crap I should. Pr I forgot to get primer for my models, so I went back and uh, get got a bottle. And he's like, um, uh, "How this store kind of works is, yeah, like, yeah, they have a rewards card thing where it's like, you know, if you spend ten bucks, you get a stamp, and then like, there's ten stamps, and if you spend, there, that's like fifteen dollars in store credit." And so I uh, basically got um, 
primer for that was like twenty dollars like i was like he was just like yeah i'll just take a stamp one of your stamp cards and that'll be it we'll call it even so it seemed pretty nice and like you know um they're apparently playing today but i don't think i'll be going today because i don't think all my all, none of my stuff is ready and i have just a ton of stuff i need to do for school anyways but like one of the things i just want to get into you know as, as much as reactionary as a community it can be i'm kind of hoping that maybe it's a little bit better or, or around where i am and maybe you know i'm almost like too open sometimes where you have like uh people that are a bit reactionary that probably you know i shouldn't tolerate but i do that's just kind of how i be i'm kind of non-confrontational like that but mm -hmm. you know yeah that's kind of where, where i'm coming from where like i enjoy a lot of the the you know the new i like a lot of the nuances with the rules and the people and like looking at you know um really trying to get into just the fun experiences of playing a game and the shenanigans that goes on when playing it and the inside jokes and and kind of the you know the the cool the stories that you tell your friends or like your friends know about and the stuff that happens not only within like playing a game with someone but also just like around the game yeah but just because primer was mentioned you brush primer or you uh, airbrush primer or rattle can primer because uh, da uh danny you you've gotten the, into the rattle can primer lifestyle right yeah, I, 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 that's that's what I'm starting with. Rattle can all the way. I'd love an airbrush, <laughs> but living in rented accommodation kind of makes it uh, tough to, to yeah. get. Uh, I, it's not that it, I think it's pretty safe. I think I don't think you you can really make a big mess with it because it's acrylic anyway, and it's more that you need like a ventilation pipe. And like I don't know, I think landlords would probably be annoyed at it because they're, they're annoyed at anyone living in their mm. houses for any reason other than making money for them so mm. um you know yeah they won't let you have pets so they're not gonna let you have an airbrush because that's noisier i was gonna say why i don't think i would have any issue i would love to go on to airbrush uh priming but no rattle cans is the way to go for me mm. well I, usually what i do with mine is uh you just take a giant hood from like a laboratory and then just paint in there and your landlord will be perfectly fine with it you know yeah <laughs> That that they will, uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty much in the same boat as most of y'all. Um, I got into it because a friend's a friend's brother was into it. Uh, at first, I was initially interested in solely the game. That's just kind of like, oh, I like lots of little strategic games, love like tabletop games, that kind of stuff. And this was an extension of it because it had big cool models and it had big big cool power fantasy in the form of Space Marine. So that's always exciting. As of late, it has been the community, even though as I've shared many times that the community around my area is. A little less than ideal and sometimes very toxic but it does serve as a kind of great way to get out of the house and that way you're doing something semi-constructive instead of just sitting outside browsing youtube all day it's like okay i'm gonna go out and build a guy or i'm gonna go out and paint a guy or i'm gonna play a game today so it kind of gives you an excuse for some social interaction and you have that shared interest when you go out to like a games workshop store or a friendly local game store. So that way, which you kind of get past the awkward icebreaker phase. Cause it's just like, Oh yeah, we both love this. So, and I think that makes it very helpful. Uh, and yeah, I think that all of us kind of getting into it, uh, is because, and that we still stick with it is because we enjoy the hobby so much. And just the only real frustrating part is just the sort of accusations that we get from exterior from right wing nut jobs, who are basically just kind of like, uh, basically give us the no true Scotsman fallacy in that none of us ever enjoy uh, the hobby in the right way. 
none of us ever enjoy the hobby like the way that we're supposed to. Uh, if we advocate for having more inclusivity, that's too much. Or they accuse us of not painting or not building or, you know, we're not really competitive and stuff like that. Or bringing politics into the hobby, which is my pet peeve is this fucking idea in this country that politics is bad and you should not ever talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, it's so obnoxious. Like, And, and you know, the, the left uh, you know, left wing is famously uh, has nothing to do with art. I mean, who ever heard of a left wing artist? That's never happened before, <laughs> has it? <laughs> that we like i always find like the the more toxic elements of the hobby kind of interesting when you say this like no true scotsman thing because um i i don't know who listens to the podcast exactly so i don't know if they can place accents but i'm i'm from the midlands i'm from nottingham i used to like cycle down to lenton lane where which is now warhammer world mm. um, which is like the core of the hobby you know it, it i used to go to work behind it um for a different job tech support for like two years straight um so i was like in the the cradle of gw stuff and I mean, I think the reason that I stuck with what like GW stuff's always been so fascinating is because I, when I, I must have been like what ten or twelve, like I was saying before, I read the Skaven army book from like was it third edition or fourth edition of Fantasy and the Eldar Codex for the second edition of Forty K, and like those things was just like nothing else I'd ever read, and even to this day, I still think they like fundamentally kind of ruined a lot of fantasy and sci-fi for me because they they were the first they were my like first exposure to those genres in a way that wasn't like disc well a disc will kind of ruined fantasy for me as well but like because <laughs> this world just better than all of the fantasy <laughs> from what i've found but yeah like i read around the same time i read lord of the rings and i've seen star wars and things like that and i was just like but you know there's just something really different about um about about uh skaven and eldar and i think you can definitely tell that those two races were like very much kind of like isolated by gw making them as opposed to them just kind of being a huge ripoff of something else or like you know fantasy had like elves and orcs but eldar felt like something different and transgressive because the the good eldar are really the like the bad ones they're like an inversion of the fantasy trope it's like and uh the, the skaven were just completely new at the time like they weren't like orcs or anything like or goblins or anything like that they were just totally different and they had such a a vicious society and i was reading these books when i was like 10 and obviously these old army books they're nothing like the new ones they were just absolutely packed full of stories they were like they were like novels worth of stories in them um a little bit of rules and modeling you just looked at the pictures <laughs> sure so, sure that, like so people that like go really hard in on um the hobby like i know you were talked a couple of episodes ago about like law being mutable and things like that and these people who like they go really hard in on like the new stuff that's been like sort of canonized by certain modern writers or like the black library writers like back then it was it was much more of a, a wild west and i think it was it was probably more transgressive in its early stages than it um than it was through like third um all the way through to seventh and i think now as gw is like slowly turning this like giant 20 year old cruise liner that they operate towards a slightly more progressive outlook on the hobby than they maybe have had for the past 20 years i still think mm. those initial seeds of it were really not punk but they came from like a you know like a 2000 ad style exactly yeah it kind of come from some an element that's like somewhat satirical but it's definitely lost a lot of that teeth along the way and it's now it's just kind of guys making cool things so that's definitely something we talked about before uh 
like the old old Warhammer Fantasy is like basically just like a straight ripoff of Tolkien esque uh, Tolkien esque stories. Well, that's, that's why I find it so interesting because like one of the biggest things that kind of drew me towards it was just the idea of you know you have this vision of a future that isn't like you know strictly utopian. It's almost like the the appeal of cyberpunk and like the idea that. It's a vision of a future where basically you just go back to a feudal past. We have that mixed match of like, it's a future. And, you know, usually when people are like, oh, man, it's a future in sci-fi and there's blasters and there's uh, laser swords. But like here, it's just like, no, you can just beat people with like regular swords. And then like the idea of even even beyond that, just when we're looking at like the orcs and stuff like, yeah, they're a, a race basically um, basically stolen from like other fantasy. But also, like the way GW has done it, I think has been really interesting because the new take on orcs that's really fresh, that's really cool. Like the idea of their all their machines and all their weaponry are just powered by you know the will of being and like being like I believe this gun will shoot, so I'm gonna put like cracker jacks in it and then be able to like shoot people <laughs> is 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 fucking hilarious. And I think it's a really like in the foot of course the football hooligan aesthetic is also very fun and i think that like it's a- another take on orcs that isn't like you know tolkien's like urkai uh literal monster army that just lives to kill it's more of a um a more whimsical look at orcs that's fun they do like to kill though we cannot discount how much they like to murder well, things they, they like to kill in a more fun way where it's like you know <laughs> the urkai you you see them at helm's deep and it's like ooh, all this huge siege whereas with the other orcs, it's just like, here's my giant uh, bunch of scrap I put together, and I'm now walking in a huge mech, and it's so cool, and we can do all this stuff, but it's much more fun. Yeah, so, way. I mean, the, the Siege of Helm's Deep in Warhammer Fantasy would, as you say, have much more fun uh, versions of the Urukai. And then the surfing Legolas scene would be the same, but instead of surfing on a shield, he would be surfing on a Bretonian peasant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely. Uh, um, play, uh, I'll probably get a major off target here, but like, I think 40k is really interesting for being like one of the like few post scarcity, like sci-fi future things. Like, is there's just so really many old? people. Is it? I don't know. It's just like there's so many people in 40k. It's just like endless people. Um, yeah. Like what the procession to keep the emperor alive is like what a thousand psychers a day or something crazy like that. It's like. Hmm. Really, it yeah, it's post guesty where convenient for scale. I think. Yeah, that's probably. That's probably yeah. Right. Like there's still crippling poverty and just yeah, horrendous, uh, injustice. I mean, uh, and there's like like it's squalor is still like a very yeah. very present ever present part of the 40k universe. So I wouldn't call it post scarcity, at least not the sense that we normally would. Yeah, I don't mean post scarcity in terms of like um like economic like post economic scarcity. I mean like there's like not a scarcity of human life. It's like an absolute fecundity of human life. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's actually good for those billions and billions of people. It's actually mm. probably worse for them. There's just like end life in the universe. And also, you know, if you wanna if you wanna visit the Emperor, you've got to take a trip through hell to get from one planet to the next planet, which is certainly <laughs> an entertaining way of jumping around the universe. <laughs> 
it's like the like literally i think the best way to describe warhammer is like the anti-star or star trek where it's like gene rottenberry has this idea of like a futuristic society that was you know kind of very utopian and you're just exploring and you're having to deal with all these highbrow ethical issues as you as you go across the stars and kind of learn about yourself whereas warhammer 40k is just like nah in the future we're just gonna go back to like like this whole idea that we're gonna be somehow more advanced is stupid so we're gonna go back to just being tribal and just killing each other so it's a fundamentally you know a more positive and a negative view of kind of humanity and i think the two really interact very interestingly if you look at them from a cultural perspective in mm-hmm. addition the bald uh, father figure boss turns out to be evil which he doesn't <laughs> <Star Trek. laughs> indeed. indeed 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 uh <laughs> yeah uh, like both of the top the fifth settings themselves obviously play a huge part in the attraction to it uh but lucas someone like who has an instagram account and has a twitter uh and regularly shows off their model sort of stuff uh, i know today you really want to talk about influencers which is a buzzword that i'm sure many many of you have just cringed at or physically revulsed at the sheer mention of the word influencers but we're going to kind of mention how influencers have sort of the idea of late stage capitalism has infected uh, the hobby that we know it, like something that used to be like a niche within a niche within a niche. And like obviously Warhammer and Age of Sigmar are not like super, uh, super popular, but that they are still kind of attracting this uh, techno, techno culture, techno fascist culture sort of deal as we approach the end of civilization as we know it really with the climate apocalypse. Uh, so while we're the, the world slowly approaches its end, uh, we're going to ask our resident Zoomer, Danny, what is in all God's name, an influencer. Well, you see, it goes back actually to Karl Marx, because if you think about it, an influencer is someone who has basically proven that Marx's labor theory of value is bullshit, just because they're basically making no value, but they are... They, you, it's like the Kylie Jenner, where you slap your name on something and suddenly it becomes worth more, where you commodify yourself to such a point where you are basically selling yourself as a product. And that's really what influencers do. And like, you know, and just basically being known and just being there and not doing anything. That's an influencer. Yeah. Yeah. Because like as we've entered like the middling stage of the internet away, kind of from the wee baby stages of it, the companies are realizing that most of people within the Zoom or the millennial generation really don't have cable boxes anymore. So and they don't really have cars for billboards because we're under too much crippling uh, student loan debt. Uh, <laughs> so they realize that they can't advertise to us in the same manner that they used to, like newspapers, televisions, radio ads. Those methods don't really work for us. And they don't really, they're not really able to reach their target demographic, i.e. 18 to 34-year-old white males in the same manner that they used to. Or just any other demographic, really, but that's always been like the big the big white whale as it is. So their companies are getting to these influencers who are, who are like basically living in idealized life of some sort, appealing to some fantasy of some sort, whether it's living in extreme wealth, whether it's going to globe trotting, maybe it's being at exotic beaches or sometimes the thing that you might be just selling is your own pure image of being an incredibly attractive by current societal standards that you're just you are ultimately just like trying to sell something and like Danny you said you commodified yourself in just another manner of like the the influencers are like the middlemen of advertisement for these billion dollar corporations who have no idea how to appeal to the people that they're trying to sell their stuff with 
even then, like, it's interesting. Like, I know I, I made the joke about the labor theory of value where it's like, oh, they don't do anything. But there is certain labor put into it. Like, I, I actually have a friend who, you know, this is a small time influencer that like kind of like she does stuff and it's like it's like interacting with your audience and you know trying to figure out what exactly they want to see from you and like producing content there are people out there who are influence like usually when you think of influence you're, you're thinking of like the big ones where it's like kylie jenner and it's like people who uh you know the content they produce is uh half-hearted and shitty and uh, then they get tons of money for it rather than you know the more actual notion of it is there are people who are, you know, appealing to a certain market and, you know, more, almost marketing themselves or trying to, you know, give someone an interaction. But the interaction has therefore been has almost been commodified and has almost become strictly economically transactional rather than, you know, actual social bonds or like anything like that. So like sometimes people are literally selling themselves like as a friend to people. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's, but it, but it's uh, just interesting to kind of be like, well, you know, it kind of brings into question what exactly is labor and, um, you know, what counts as labor, what exactly should count as labor. Should people, you know, be able to basically say, hey, this is, you know, I, I put work into my social media account and I do all this stuff with graphic design and I try to um, appeal to my audience and I make content. Is that, you know, labor and I should should I have rights or for it and i should i be able to is it morally justifiable to say that i'm doing something or am i just you know yeah and those are those society. are all very good uh those are definitely all good questions not the ones i don't know if we're really gonna be able to an answer off of those after you just post those uh, I, I do think a good film that kind of, that covers this sort of thing the thing is uh, ingrid goes west featuring aubrey plaza i would recommend that if you kind of want a little brief dark humor satire of influencer culture, especially specifically Instagram one. And so now Luke, we're kind of wanting to talk about uh, like how influencers have sort of invaded like Warhammer or the hobby itself, like modeling, painting, that sort of stuff. And you really want to hit, hit upon this hobby horse. So how have, how is like basically like this techno uh, capitalist culture kind of invaded Warhammer hobby? And like how is like Instagram, social media, really start to like change the way we present ourselves or people present their skills. So, so I guess the general gist of it is that like when you do work on a mini, you want to show it off and you generally want to show it off to an audience that's receptive to it. So Instagram's a good way of doing that and you have to use a load of hashtags to do that. Um, and I unashamedly do that because I like it when people click the heart and I get a little dopamine rush that lets me know that someone has liked the model. Um, and it's the same with writing. Um, I don't write like for others approval but it's always super nice when someone says something about what you've written be it positive or negative it's just good to get some feedback on an article the same for if you've written something you create something you generally want to know that someone's like interacted uh and also like you were saying earlier there's like so many hobby tutorials out there now it's really easy to get into the hobby but what i find kind of odd I don't know. I have a, a bee in my bonnet about it, and I, I find it hard to talk about it without coming across as really negative because I do think there's a time and a space for people to sell them their ability. Um, there are some really, really good painters out there, people like Angel Geraldez, who have written books and do painting classes. And I think that is totally fine um, for someone to do that because it's like 
high level mini painting is like any other form of art and people should not be expected to give away everything they do for free as as far as i'm concerned they should be if they want to do a class on it they should if they want to do some tutorials for free knock yourself out what i don't mm. like personally is the way that it no longer to me feels like people treat it as a natural extension of like natural popularity um it, I, I always call it the grift and it is it's a grift people there are there are methods of getting more exposure on instagram and they are things like followbacks and posting stories where you do things like if you comment on my favorite mini i'll pick one of yours and share it in the story let's expand our network of friends uh, and then it's giveaways like oh i've reached 100 followers um here's a giveaway and these people people who do this um i i have conflicting feelings about it because i i don't know i'm old school in that i feel like it's I just like it when things happen naturally and i know that's probably not really true i'm quite naive i guess when it comes to that but i just feel there's so many people who like one day they're painting and then the next day like they've not even been painting for a year they're not even in the hobby for the year and suddenly they're like bolter gun studios and they're talking about miniature giveaways that they're doing and they're mm. going they're, they're like someone likes seven of their pictures so they go thanks x for liking all their pictures and i think the reason that the thing that really soured me against this is it was like kind of like a low level painter who was doing stuff on twitch that i followed on instagram for a while and that stuff was pretty good um nothing like incredible just pretty good i think i'm, I'm an okayish painter and there are definitely like levels like you, there are certain like stratified levels of painter this person wasn't like a golden demon level painter or anything like that um and this person had um been like doing the tip doing some really interesting things in terms of like in, in sort of like semi interviewing people on instagram asking them questions and doing like instant instagram stories about like how they're going to the hobby what their favorite miniature was that they'd worked on what they wanted to work on what techniques they could talk about and recommend and then at the end of the year they were like i i wrote down at the start of the year that i wanted to have four thousand followers on instagram by the end of the year and like and i've managed to do it by october and i was really happy and it's like and then they stopped and then I, I noticed as well that that kind of coincided with them stopped doing these interesting things where they were like it felt like they were genuinely interacting with the hobby on kind of like a, a like a, a dialectical level where they were like having a conversation between a bunch of people like dialectical like a discourse between a lot of people mm -hmm. and then it turned out that they were just they just wanted four thousand followers and after that i was like oh well that's the magic and the enjoyment of all that gone and they were just like grifting for their twitch channel and they wanted more twitch you know they wanted the twitch subs and the twitch partnership and they had the painting schedules and the stuff that they were doing just wasn't that interesting and it's like oh and then what like what's the next step a patreon and then you're going to put all your tutorials behind patreon and i think for me the hobby has always been something it's like it's a hobby it's a communal thing people share tips and advice and painting styles and ask for painting schemes and you are entering this weird transitionary period now where you're getting like commission painting studios and some of the worst ones will like do something and people will go how did you do that and they go we don't comment on paid for work it's like okay you, you could have just said it was a resin base with this effect we might do a tutorial at a later date um that you can buy like, again i'm not totally averse to people selling stuff i just hate the idea that someone paywalls everything they do because i don't i think it's it's like the antithesis of the hobby which is this big communal thing and then there's these people sat at the top table kind of just like all sharing 
tips between themselves and then charging other people for it and i, I guess another thing that really winds me up about it is that so much of the stuff that they're selling is just like stuff that you can get for free and it makes me wonder that like are people being conned by like a cult, a cult of personality um you know you get these again you get people who just like seem to go from painting two minis to suddenly they are an account on instagram that does painting and that's it like my instagram account is where I share all my miniatures, but I also share pictures of me and my partner and my dad's dogs and stuff like that. You know, it's not exclusively, I'm not a painting personality. I don't want to be a painting personality. I'd love to connect to more people, but I don't want to do that as, as kind of like a sacrifice to chasing lights. Sacrifice for the capital gods. Yeah, exactly. Like like for me, this is why I kind of, um, I like Belle Delphine's almost... Um, like, well, here's my oh, thing, because God. I think it's a brilliant satire of what's going on in the community, because she knows that it's all about, she knows that, like, the idea of selling your bathwater is inherently stupid. It, it, you know, why would anyone want to buy that? And, like, it, it kind of gets to the core of, well, sometimes these people are, like, especially if you're a female on the internet, <laughs> dudes are just fucking Ew. horny. And, like, yes, exactly, <laughs> where it's just, like, Dudes are fucking horny, and they're always trying. There always is like this. One of the biggest things I was talking to one of my friends about one time was like she always was like getting super depressed because people would, um, you know, she would try to have genuine friendships with people, and then they'd be like, "Ooh, you want to go out?" And she's like, "No, I- I'm okay for now." And then they just cut off all communication with her, and it just felt so. Again, it's, it's transactional where people think that all right, so I'm gonna put this. It- I'm going to invest in this friendship so I can get uh, level it up and get points in it. It's like people think that it's like that um, relationships nowadays are uh, literally a manga game where you just throw uh, hearts at people and then they'll suddenly love you. Yeah, it's that's like social media, as Luke was describing, completely, completely in, in the thrall of this kind of capitalist incentive structure. Like, as you were speaking, I was just thinking that this sounds exactly like the Instagram fitness industry. With, with absolutely yeah. parallels. In, instead of um, a painting tutorial behind paywalls, it then becomes um, uh, own brand sponsorships and then also supplements being made. Almost always just kind of like g- g- generic sort of... Um, snake oil. Uh, yeah, yeah. G- g- snake oil and, and pills that are identical to anything else that you can find in a hole in a barrel or whatever the equivalent would be in the United States. But like something that's been perhaps uh, FDA tested. Um, <laughs> we <hope>. um, <laughs> Maybe. In the United States, it's a little, perhaps, bit, uh, yeah. it's a little bit more uh, open for debate. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and then on. steroids, uh, the equivalent to that is an airbrush. Because that that is also a, a financial advantage. You're that so that is. <laughs> it is. No, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> no, I, I stand by this. I'm okay, not saying steroid on. users are evil. I'm saying that it's a an oh, artist enhancing drug. Uh, sorry, a, a, a performance enhancing pe- um, artist equipment, of- <laughs> right? and that you need a specific space to have one. Because as as Luke was saying, you can't just have one in like a uh, in, in a little flat. Um, but yeah, so uh, what I'm saying is that if steroids are a class C drug, so should airbrushes be. Yeah, so should airbrushes. Airbrush users are evil. That's, that's my opinion. So what you're saying is if I want to get better at art, I have to inject acrylic into my veins. So I, <laughs> through like, an airbrush. Straight to mouth, you know, uh, thin it, do a little Lamian medium. Uh, just exactly. put the Abbott in black straight in your mouth, Danny. 
It'll be perfect. You've, you've heard of huffing paint before, but have you tried like, like doing paint? It? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I definitely feel a lot of it. Uh, I feel like the thing that you're describing, kind of the balkanization of tips, tips and tricks for hobbies or just like general communal work or ideas. It's sort of like what happened with kind of the early days of the internet itself, like after like, you know, like a post DARPANET, you know, of course, the ideal was that it's going to be this where information is free information, you like you're free to share. It's just kind of like, uh, like, obviously, it was a lot more complicated than this, but the in this overgeneralization it's like, oh, it's just nerds sharing other nerd stuff who are all interested in the same thing. But as we've seen that, obviously, capital saw the opportunity for this and it's kind of been slowly but surely cutting it up, putting behind more and more paywalls to what should be a source of like sharing free information. And then of course you have the cutting off of like people's access to it, even though the internet should be a human right at this point and just kind of making it harder and harder for people. So people who should be able to get in like something that like, which, which should be common knowledge, like, you know, thinning your paints or, you know, how to get like a blending effect or how to get a non-metal metal effect these kinds of things that should just kind of be open to the community are now starting to get balkanized behind more and more personality sort of deal. And that it is moving to more commodification. Yeah. I was going to say, I I don't have, like I said, I don't have an issue with people trying to make money off becoming professional painters. Like I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I just, and I think that's an important distinction to make is that I don't think that there's so many of these, there's so many people out there that, you know, it's the same with art. It shouldn't just be done for the exposure of it some of these professional painters are incredible artists and a lot of them will share aspects of their work for free. Um, but then they might, they do, they might do a painting class and then they might do like a specific tutorial of how, how to get this effect, or they might put it on YouTube so they can get ad revenue on it and stuff like that. But it is like you say, like some of these basic techniques that get put behind paywalls. One thing that I always think when this topic comes up and I always say is like, how is like this person's paywalled non-metallic metal technique any different from anyone else's non-metallic metal technique because they're all essentially the same technique mm. it's very i think it's one of those things it's really hard to reinvent non-metallic metal it's it is kind of the way it is um and exactly it isn't that i think that i don't know maybe i just feel like they should operate more on a tip jar basis sometime like back to the fitness thing it, there is only so many ways you can write a low-carb diet plan yeah <laughs> Mm. But yeah, uh, there's, there's only so many days in the week that you can argue about on fitness boards until you know <laughs> <laughs> until the steroids shrink your brain oh, John Boy's good shout oh yes. yeah that was a good video but one of the things I think the, the analog to this almost in real life is uh, I, I was at the store the other day and I saw um, a book that was being sold uh, that was like the unofficial guide to Apex Legends. It's like this fucking bootleg guide that was like literally like the most pointless thing, or like even for like Fortnite and stuff like that, where it's basically just designed to be a scam where they give you useless information, but they just plaster, you know, Fortnite stuff all over it. And then it's like your grandma looks by and says, Oh, little Timmy likes Fortnite. I'll buy this for him. So it's that sort of thing where it's like you can get all this information, you can get better information online, but. You're just you're basically just selling, just aping off of someone else's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just just aping off of, of like a an idea, really. Like yeah. especially with Warhammer, it's just like you're aping, you're you're like basically taking the idea and the concept of painting and be like, hey, you want to be able to paint, um, you want to be able to do stuff like me. Well, you know, follow my Patreon and do all that stuff. So it's like 
And I think the the part that like where Luke and like all of us are kind of getting in these are not insisting that people shouldn't be paid for their labor. Like people should obviously be paid and rewarded for their labor of like their painting and stuff, or like that they've taken the time to edit and uh, cut a video. Like we're not saying that they shouldn't be rewarded for that because like you know tutorials and like making YouTube videos is it's still labor unto it. Like even though it's like you know like not labor isn't just always working in a factory job or typing for some uh, sexist. CEO who's going to pinch your ass later at the water cooler. You know, like there's lots of things that clarify his labor, but what I think Luke's getting at is just kind of the insidious nature and the gamification of hobby tricks. Definitely. Yeah. And I was like thinking in this whole like process as well, it's like, I think in some ways it actually actively makes it sort of harder for new people sometimes to get into it because they feel like they need these this specific advice like i definitely see a lot of who have like i'm in a couple quite a few hobby pod uh discords and um there's one of them that's uh run by someone who is like one of gw's like uh hobby champions i think they call them so like every year they like oh yeah yeah yeah. he's an american guy and he's he's got a really good pack um he does some good stuff and um I think again like a lot of good can come from these things like they do like a kind of secret santa thing that's a bit like the reddit secret santa oh, but nice. it's miniatures focused and it's pretty cool um uh, seeing some really cool stuff come out of that like conversions or just you know people just like dumping you know loads of money on getting someone a magnus or whatever you know <laughs> people do varying degrees of things that's fine but people come in i see people come into this um discord and it's like they're not a they, i know painting warhammer is kind of like a you paint in expensive models essentially and you feel like if you fuck it up um Get you, you know, you've done fucked up, and that's going to be a lot of time or a lot of effort, a lot of money wasted. But like, I, I, I strip models quite not super frequently because I think it's always good to, to learn um, from your mistakes and go back to models and try and fix them sometimes, or just like go, okay, that's a loss, that's going to stay as, as a lesson. Um, but strippers dead cheap. Like I get this will go stuff. It's like three pounds, um, and it lasts for ages, and it's super good. Um, people are really hesitant to try things, and I see really, I see questions getting asked that i sometimes wonder if they're informed by people presenting themselves as professional giving really basic tutorials it's like Mm. how should i highlight this the unanimous answer is nearly always with a color that's lighter than the one base coated and gw and every other paint range out there generally has quite stratified layers of color that go from like really dark of one like hue i guess and they go up in brightness and saturation and stuff um and that's one thing that I think you can say is been good about GW is that they've given out really basic painting tips for free quite easily. Um, and so I worry like, why, why are people trying to like commodify base shade layer highlight? Mm. It's almost like the commodification of like human interaction and the commodification of just, you know, being in a part of a community where it's like commodifying that. Mm. And then just being like, well, you know, if you want to talk to me, I'm so famous I'm going to put myself behind a paywall is scummy. And it's really tragic because it's just, it's gamification and social stratification. And like the people that have already done this and, and make a living off it. And I, don't, I think they're kind of, there's probably like few and far between really that like get really successful off it. I think most of the people who make most of the money off this are just really talented and work super hard. There's some incredible painters out there. Often they do stuff that I don't really like a lot of like super flashy, non-metallic metal and stuff like that. that I'm not super into, but you know, people go wild over that object source lighting. 
don't unless you're doing a diorama i generally don't see the point of it um victoria miniatures who in i think australian based the, the woman who runs that she was a fantastic diorama painter for a while if you ever look up some of her object source lighting stuff that it's like the way you do it, not like a space marine standing in a field, but for some reason, he's got a really bright ore specs. It seems to be like 90% <laughs> of mm-hmm. OSL. It's what we're, it's, it's like, again, it's this naivety from me. It's like the purity of getting into the hobby is it's such an enjoyable, rewarding personal thing. So like, why turn it into this, like, okay, I'm Glasgow Brushed Studios. That's me now on, on Instagram. That's me. I'm not, I'm not full of feathers anymore. Let's go bus studios and I'm gonna do a giveaway when I reach five hundred followers. And it's like, why not just I don't know, why not just enjoy it for what it is and not make it like yet another thing that has to be like like the reward for me for painting is is pretty much always just in the actual painting. And then I post it online and people like it and I'm like, oh that's cool that people like it. And I don't I don't get tons and tons and tons of likes like some people do. Um so like I don't get sad about that. I sometimes get mystified how some people get the likes that they get, but that's a different thing. It's just all this like gamification of it. And like, can't they like, can't we just be like, go back to the good old honest days of just enjoying what you've made? You know, does it have to be like, does everyone have to be a studio now? Does everyone have to get into the hobby with the end goal of like being a Twitch painter? It's that's sometimes what it feels like. And probably just, I, that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in general. Like, I don't, I think there's kind of like an interplay between both sides of this. It's not it's not that the people that are grifting on that are already made it that are bad, and it's not the people that like are getting into it that are doing it under false pretenses. I think there's just like a weird interaction where it's like they've kind of created like a little cottage industry um, that's like become super weird and super. It's like it's like the it's like the fitness thing that you talk about. Right? It's like it's just weird. It makes you feel uncomfortable, and I guess you guys are better at talking about this because you've got the better um, theory background. But it's just—I don't know—it just—it kind of freaks me out a little bit. The last thing I was going to say about that was it just reminds me of so many people really interesting, like um, like the Inquisitor Twenty Eight and the Iron Sleep and stuff like that. And they do some really, really fantastic work that is like people like call it Blanchian or Grimdark, I guess. Um, and they do lots of really interesting conversions. And those people are generally, you know, they don't, pay, they don't act, they're not looking for any money for anything that they do. And I would be happy for them to, because they do some of the most interesting, like tonal painting, using lots of dark colors, totally opposite the GWE style. But they're doing it as like a community driven thing. And it's all about the interaction. It's all about getting people into this new style of modeling, which isn't officially supported by GWE. But it does turn up in White Dwarf occasionally because you can't really like disrespect John Blanche when you're white writing White Dwarf because he kind of made it. Um, mm. And like, I don't know. I, 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 I guess it's just like a, a preference for that all-embracing, supportive side of the hobby versus the, okay, like if someone turned up in that hobby scene and they were like, oh, I'm Grimdark Studios and I'm going to teach people how to do Blanchian artwork, everyone would be like, okay, that's kind of not what we're here for. We're kind of more here for making cool things and sharing them. And that that's the reaction that I've seen happen. I've actually seen mm. John Blanche get really angry about the idea of Blanchian artwork because he, um, he doesn't like the fact that people won't find their own thing to do like everyone just wants to copy him to be grimdark <laughs> so this is like weird instantly I, maybe you could elucidate on that a bit better guys it almost like reminds me of like the the saddest sub on reddit which is to say r slash sub for sub which is all about <laughs> yeah yeah literally where you know you have people where it's 
this I think people have this weird idea where it's like, oh, I've seen people make it on YouTube. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to basically try to get as the most subs as fast as I can by cheating the system and like, you know, making all these videos and being doing the YouTuber like, what's up, guys? Clapping my hands and doing all this stuff and then jump cuts everywhere. And then just this like, is, this is the thing that Big Joe did a video on, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he did. I did see this video. It yeah. was a great video on it. Yes, yeah. it's exactly <laughs> the thing because it's 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 like people who have this idea of wanting to make it big on YouTube. It's like literally me in seventh grade where I wanted to make it big off YouTube. So you know, you just you just try to with your small with your like me in like my seventh grade way. You embarrassingly try to really get at what the core of what people like but what people like is a social interaction and like the fun like you know if you're not having fun making your videos or if you're like like for for me my most popular video on youtube is literally me going into an mlm shop and uh applying for a job interview but uh talking about how much how i'm a furry and i love furry porn that's literally my most popular video on youtube and mm. like I never expected something like that. Like I, I, I just find that the the more pa it's the passion that people want. It's not like it's that's what uh, people want, like sub for sub and all this other stuff. Don't understand. And like you see people where it's like you have guava juice, where like you get super super famous really really quickly because he's he appeals to a wide audience, but they're not making an impacting. They're they're going to be gone in a year because they're not making an impactful, you know, cultural. Mark, yeah, they're, not, yeah. yeah. They're, not making yeah. A, they're not making an actual mark. It's just kind of getting the immediate visceral reactions from it. So, so that's what that's why I think people are doing with like the studios and stuff because they want to make it sound like they're you know high class, more professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can definitely say a few examples of local people which are which are like expat studios or something, which is literally just one guy in his basement with his kid and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's kind of like the thing. So what I kind of want well, to depends get if he lets the kid out of the basement, right? Yeah, that, that's the thing. Uh, the other guy's a bigot uh, and a transphobe and an Islamophobe, so he sucks. But that's a whole other topic for another day. Anyway, so we're, as, as we're kind of talking about these influencers and stuff and all these like uh, like studios, you know, Bolter, Bolter Gun Studio or Grimdark Studio that um, Luke has brought up. Uh, I just, no, you don't, obviously. <laughs> no, I, yes, obvi yeah, yeah. obviously they're not real. If somebody will... If, you've got, if you are called Grimdark Studio, I apologize. <laughs> we, we, we apologize unless you're a transphobe, Islamophobe, or a bigot, in which yeah, case yeah, you can go die in a hole. Um, yeah, what well, we wanted to talk about is like as we've kind of reached peak, well, uh, probably we're actually probably nowhere close to peak modification of Games Workshop and Warhammer in general. This is still fairly well. This is this is a weird thing because like we're we're here in like. Uh, Warhammer has already been pretty much commodified, but like even in like the furry community, like one of the biggest things that has been stopping commodification is just massive amounts of pornography, which is fucking weird. And it's like this, this, there's, but recently it's because we're beginning more mainstream. There's actually a guy on on Twitter who literally, he's just a fursuiter and he got um, a sponsorship with Nike, and and sort of fighting against how the community really fight like communities fighting, fighting against commodification yeah yeah and like corporate culture going into the community and it's the fight against commodification um like from the more corporate side people want to phrase it as well you're fighting against people making money off of doing what they love and it's like no we're not fighting against that we're fighting against the commodification of all the interactions in the community yeah yeah so it's like we're, we're fighting against all the, the the commodifications of the interactions in the community we're fighting against you know 
rather than having a community that's all about mutual aid and like you know doing things for each other and you know helping out each other and like helping each other grow helping each other grow as people we're we're trying to go for it we're not against that we're against the idea that that should be behind a paywall and that you know if you want to be my friend hey give me 20 bucks that's what we're we're against mm-hmm. yeah um what i was trying to get to at was kind of the quote unquote influencer uh youtube personalities content creator relationship with because unlike a lot of things we have one big head honcho because as luke mentioned before most of the other miniature makers are nowhere even close to games workshop either they have cool miniatures and then they have terrible company policies or corporate policies you know you have like a privateer press when they have mini with a war machine with uh you know play like you had a pair sort of culture which was an inherently toxic uh mindset to have in a game like while they're cool miniatures but it makes the community even more non-inclusive than one that's literally filled with Nazis and other people who wear fascist paraphernalia and kind of, so the relationship that these influencers have with games workshop, which is just the big monolith that effectively controls our hobby and the thing that we love and whether it lives or dies kind of is what we're forced to live with every day. So Luke, uh, I know that you're definitely a little bit more, maybe, not quite as critical as we are of Games Workshop, but uh, yeah, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of levels, but that's kind of what I want to ask you about is how, why do you think that we have such a huge chasm, a, has such a huge chasm between those, you know, the Reddit users who are like, oh, it's totally okay that Games Workshop makes a Guardsman bo- box cost 100 quid. Uh, they just need it because their poor shareholders are unable to eat off, eat a golden apple every day. And then versus you have like Arch Warhammer or Sargon of Akkad kind of guys who are, who are critical of Games Workshop, but of course also happen to just be humongous, bigoted assholes. So I think like... There's a couple of interesting things to like think about with Games Workshop and how people interact with them. And one of the things that I think, as we were talking about kind of just before the pod, um, was not to spoil the magic or anything, sorry. Uh, was <laughs> the, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, part of it comes down to, like you mentioned, um, uh, Sam, you mentioned like this whole like kind of black box approach that GW's taken. Uh, so I... I keep hawking my own stuff, but um, I did an article for Kotaku not long back about um, like why GWs like so what it looks like in the 21st century, and it was it was kind of unfortunate that the, the the time I wrote that article, someone for the Guardian also wrote an article about GW, um, and they've always it kind of annoyed me because I submitted mine before that one got published, and then because the way that publishing works for freelance stuff, it took a couple of weeks for mine to come out, and then it just didn't really have the same resonance. If I'd just done it a bit earlier. Oh well, um, but the thing that annoyed me about the Guardian article is was very well and it talked to a couple of key people in the community. So we're talking about people like Kieran Gillen, who like writes comics, um, like the Wicked and the Vine stuff. He did a, a Warhammer blog for a while called Hipster Hammer. Really um, good article on Slash on there. Yes, there is. There's a lot of good articles on there actually. Some good stuff about painting as well. Because Kieran's not a fantastic painter, and I think he'd be the first to admit that. But he makes his stuff look good um, because yeah, he's. Uh, the whole thing about hip is quite interesting as well. Is like how do you get to fifty pounds? And it talks about like the classist uh, divide between like the kind of people that play games like Warhammer versus who he was when he was young, where he was like really working class. It's really interesting. You should check out Hipster Hammer. Just read some of the stuff out there. It's quite cool. Um, 
uh, and I, yeah, so the, the the one thing that really bugged me in the Guardian article was that it was in the Guardian and it was really like publicly facing talking about Warhammer. And they talked about this thing like Games Workshop don't communicate with their fans. They just um, they just do a monthly magazine called White Dwarf, which is how they communicate with. Them. And I was like, well, that's kind of missing like the big thing that's happened in the last 12 months that were, as to when this article was written, which was the fact that Warhammer community has become such a pivotal part of the company. And as much as they like the outwardly communicate, they are still a black box. One thing that people don't understand about GW is a lot of how stuff is produced. Um, so, it's, you know, production tail is like two years. Molds for sprues cost like £40,000 or something for a single sprue. So there are often, as, as an apologist in a lot of senses, I understand kind of a lot of how, and I, I know people worked at gw and i've spoken to them about how things are done and obviously there's certain things that they don't tell you because you know it's a very very secretive company um but they are really interesting in how they do a lot of their financial stuff how how prices are, are arrived at single heroes are very expensive but that's because people generally buy one of them so they are trying to in some way make up price and then people do this stupid thing where they're like, well, if a sprue costs forty thousand pounds, divide that by how many Space Marine players there are. It's like, no, but what about the people who made it? What about the people who did the artwork? Yada yada. There's there's a lot of you know, it's a it's a big company. I think people try and simplify them down to a really small level, and that's why you get these kind of like people who like go too far either way on like everything GW make is bad because it's all Space Marines and they don't make this, or everything GW does is fine. It should be as much as it costs because of all these factors i think you could definitely like fall right in the middle i do think gw frequently miss the ball on a lot of stuff that they make but like i said earlier it is kind of maybe smart to liken them to a very very big slow moving vehicle um they're a big long legacy company that are in i've got one foot firmly stuck in the 80s when they started and they are taking tentative steps into the future and they're just they don't want to rock their boat and i wish they would rock the boat because i think you were talking about in a previous pod like they would piss off a sizable chunk of their fan base if they were like okay so now we're overtly condemning um anti-sjw practice in the hub. Mm. Uh, i think they get a lot more fans things like feminist 40k on facebook um which do like an interesting like dissection of like new model releases look at how gw presents um aspects of their hobby um you know there's there's uh there's the miniatures monthly which is the podcast i come that I uh, like listen to that got me back into the hobby, and they are really, you know, they cover stuff quite interestingly. You've even got podcasts like the Badcast, where they are maybe not the most amazing podcast, but they've done some really fantastic episodes where they've got furious about the way that like assholes treat the hobby. Um, like from their name and from their demeanor, I did not expect them to do like a big long episode about some guy who did like monster energy themed marines, did like a pimp style Primark for them, and they just. They just went insane for about an hour and did this huge thing about you don't get to dictate who Tobby. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be welcome into Tobby. It was a really good episode and made me, even though I don't really like them f- full stop, I was like, okay, these guys are definitely going to be on the right side of history in some way, shape, or um, I, there's so much interplay, I think, in just the hobby in general, which is why I talked earlier about I don't understand where these people like Sargon and um, Arch Warhammer come from with this, like, I, the hobby was made by like rock, rock and like like people who were like into rock and metal, like proper rejects who like were just big nerds who wanted to do tabletop wargaming. Even back in the day, you had 
really weird stuff in the hobby like i don't know if any of you collected white dwarf back in the day when um stillman was still writing for it and did like a thing called Stillmania, and it was like a perfect like satirical skewering of the hobby like <laughs> back in the days of like second edition he was talking about like you build you buy your army you stick it together with super glue you paint it in one color and you varnish over you never adapt to your opponent you come up with meticulous stories for your armies back you play the same way every single game and it's like he's already kind of like writing from like a post hobby perspective like when the hobby wasn't even like before competitiveness has even really happened outside of lantern he was mm. already talking about like you can be a narrative gamer too you know this is the thing that you do if you tried to. they've always like, they're really pushing on this like flexible approach to the hobby and then you get these people or hammer i don't understand where they come from and i think a lot of it does essentially come down to gw's lack of true fan interaction outside of very specific channels they should be doing better um they should be clearer on a lot of things uh Mm -hmm. they should establish roadmaps for their fans a bit better um not in terms like a video game sense to appease their fans they should be saying like look this is what we want to do and this is where we want to take the hobby and this is what we believe in um, their mission statement is something like uh, we want to make the best possible miniatures and continue doing that forever. So recently when they did really, really well uh, in the startup market, because they have been trading like positively in Britain. Like the only post-Brexit company to like, be doing well <laughs> financially in Britain. Um, yeah, they, they just reinvested it. They all reinvested it all into the company. They don't, they don't, they don't speculate on shareholder money. They don't finance expansion they just take it from their own earning you know it's still capital you know they gave everyone in the company the same bonus recently like i think they gave everyone like two grand it didn't matter if you were a top level designer or if you were a guy working at a store everyone got the same bonus which is certainly an interesting way of doing that kind of thing um store people were super happy some of the high level model designers were a drop in the ocean it's kind of interesting to (laughs) see the two angles that but all their expansions that they're making it's all out of their own pocket so they do some good things but it'd be better if they just told people this instead of kind of like existing as a black box that don't tell anyone anything because it allows this vacuum filled by the worst types of people um people that deem to speak on gw's behalf because they're an influencer and they have the first say on a new model kit and then fans feel like they like have to fall in line or argue against it by not saying explicitly what they're going to be doing in a year's time it allows the like kind of like rampant negativity to kind of through um or in the opposite sense like the rampant positivity through i I do think a lot of the problem is caused by their reluctance to speak on things and just Mm -hmm. one last point when we're talking about like them doing better in terms of like making female minis and things like that which is like the kind of like the base thing that they could do and like having more um like less like explicitly all white space marines and stuff if you think about gw's like production tale year to two years all bands for cry that come out are sort of like 40 60 or almost 50 50 female male splits and they haven't really talked about it it's just happened. yeah that's, that's been the and last two they, years yeah so that was two years ago they were kind of so if you think about it they've you know they i think they've put these things in place and they want to be going forward but their lack of talking about it the lack of like planning the saying that this is what we want to do this is our mission statement allows for a lot of this rampant speculation 
and that I mean, yes, and that's good. It does also imply the unwillingness to uh, undertake confrontation. So where it has been uncontroversial to have like lots of female minis, so with Stormcast, with various Warcry War brands, fine, go go ahead. But then they've not done it. <laughs> you know, they've not basically addressed the the female space marine question, or even done it with some of like the. Um, uh, Chaos Imperial Guard in like Blackstone Fortress and other stuff where it, it would be more of a perhaps conversation. I think with the Blackstone Fortress one specifically, there's kind of some gender ambiguity in there. At least there's a couple of them that I think at that scale it becomes really hard to do um, shorthand female sculpting. Mm. This is a book that I've had a lot of times with like women are just like guys, they're all different shapes and sizes doing miniatures kind of like flattens people down to like visual shorthand um and i think this is like why the war cry war bands are quite interesting is you generally can't really tell who the women are until you like really get in super close at the model and have a quick look and be like oh so they've they have actually started to employ like some of the shorthand like slightly they're not, not frailer but you know liver um some of the iron golems like totally have like and the unmade which i painted recently they have like um they they have breasts it's just they're not brought there's no attention brought to it whatsoever it's just like you see it's quite interesting and i think that happened definitely in the blackstone fortress there's some that i look at and i think i don't think this is supposed to be like a regular military guy this is this is like a woman but she's just in full infantry flak armor so you can't oh, i was just gonna say that i was gonna like i concur i thought it was interesting when i was putting these models together where it's like oh i didn't even realize that was a, that was a woman oh oh that's kind of cool like like i think that yeah, and it's also this idea of, you know, it gets into the discussion of, like, tokenism and what exactly is, you know, you know, people who decry kind of, it's almost like the the myth of tokenism, where it's like, a lot of people like Sargon and Arch will, literally what ends up happening is, you put, they'll say they don't care about putting things in games, and be like, oh yeah, we can do that, whatever, it doesn't matter, just don't push it on me. But what ends up happening is that you make anything, and then they say you're pushing it on them. When in reality is you're not. They're going to say it no matter what you do. Games Workshop needs to realize that you're not going to appease these people. They're not going to, you know, suddenly be like, oh, yes, we can talk, have an interesting conversation about what exactly is a, to a token character, what should, you know, be done about it, and how to have actual inclusivity. No, they don't, they don't care about that, although... They're arguing from bad faith, so they shouldn't listen to that. Yeah, and it's it's nice that GW is kind of flying in the face of that. Though I, I did write a little uh, post on the uh, the subreddit about the elusive sixty percent, at least what I would call it. One thing I do think they could do better with the modeling opportunities. They've done really good at having like um, uh, various female models in these, say the Stormcast units, the Nighthorn, the Warcry stuff. But if you notice, it's it's never the it's always like four out of ten. Or maybe it's five out of ten, maybe three. And the fact that I don't think they've made a box in the last two years with a single. And I know, like, uh, agonizing about numbers is extremely nerdy and kind of a bit useless. But the implication that there's never a case where there is a 60% um, non male uh, figures does itself kind of imply an unwillingness to deviate from the male default. I think. Does if if they experimented with doing a bit more of that, then it would perhaps fill in the gap between a make it seem less token when it goes from the number forty percent and then jumps all the way to like a full female unit that you would get like daughters of Cain or sisters of battle. Yeah, and like it's like I say, it's kind of super interesting because 
because they're such a black box, you have no idea been planning this like like, did they agonize over this like first female stormcast like they decided to make i I don't know if any of you guys are like on any of the i still i still use facebook quite a lot for like hobby groups um because more local groups yeah so i use it for some local groups but also kind of like global hobby groups it's just kind of quite interesting um a lot of people get into mini painting quite a bit like luddites (laughs) so they just all use facebook um oh man the stink that kicked up when they came out with that core handbook last year and it had that um the female, female stormcast storm really yeah that's insane yeah and a lot of like i showed that to my girlfriend and she was like this thing cool piece of artwork i've seen out of gw um she just the character looks just looks great and it was represented pretty heavily in like the, the that sequitur that you could buy um the monopose one that they gave away yeah. from the last store contact. That's one. a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically that. It's basically that character. And I was like, that was a really interesting synergy. But it's just, yeah, it's not to be like a super apologist to them. But it's understanding their production pipeline means that they were planning that two years ago, which is when people were criticizing them for having no women in in their miniatures whatsoever. So I think they do take the feedback on, but there it was just a, takes a while. Ever. I'm, I'm pretty sure there were female Stormcast in the novels from about day one. Um, they just weren't represented in the minis for a while. I think that. Was I mean, that, that happens a lot because I think I'm pretty sure in one of the, I'm pretty sure in one of the 40k novels, a bit like Belisarius Call talks about um, what what he can do with the gene seed, um, and I'm pretty sure he talks about like the the traitor. He's got the traitor legion gene seed, got backups of the missing legion gene seed. And potentially, he talks about the possibility of women in there. Um, I know there's an excerpt in one of the Chaos Codexes, I think it is, where Fabius Bile says something on the lines of the the biggest mistake that the Emperor ever made was only allowing 50% of his population to be recruited into the Space Marine Doctrine. Um, so maybe maybe the first female like Marines would be Chaos Marines. I would not be surprised. But that would open a sort of weird back rooms as well as that that's um, uh it's, yeah it's like it's the i was talking about hips the hammer earlier the on slash article interesting because the only place that transgenderism turns up in the hobby is uh is Smash, and that is problematic in some respects yeah we, we, we definitely plan to uh to talk about slanesh and female space marines probably like in its own dedicated episode because that's just like such a bag of worms yeah, yeah definitely tokenism um commodification of feminism that sort of stuff but yeah to touch on that yeah we were trying to tie into the influences weren't we and i I've, i think the general point that i've like long-windedly gone around explaining was it is that it is james workshop's fault it's their lack of um, being open that causes these people to fill the void, and it's always, always the worst people that speak. Like, exactly, man. This James Workshop guy, <laughs> yes, a real dude. <laughs> what, what an absolute <laughs> prick. Uh, yeah, man, okay, uh, man. James Workshop, you listen to this? Fuck you. <laughs> First of his video, James. James. Uh, okay, yeah. thank you so much, Luke, for popping on. Um, so, Alex and Danny and Luke, uh, starting with you, Luke, I'm just going to ask one little final thing before we wrap this episode up. Uh, what is something that you what what is an what is like an act something that they can actually act on that you want to see from Games Workshop, either in a memo and like not just like female space marines or something like like a press statement sort of deal or kind of just like a memo of the moment sort of deal it's kind of like like this is what we're going to do like something that they're going to act on like 
within a reasonable time because obviously minis take a while. So Luke, starting with you, what is something you want to see from Games Workshop? Um, I think with the minis, it's kind of difficult. I think I would prefer them to do something with their community channel um, and make it less sanitized. So they have done kind of interesting interviews with hobbyists and people who've done cool armies. I think they should dig heavier into independent scenes. They should promote uh, podcasts. They should promote communities that are actively doing interesting things like Sigmarxism. And they should <laughs> no, the pod- game, game workshop promote I, the Sig Marxism podcast. You heard it here first. We'll shill yeah, for you, <laughs> or maybe, or as a, as a kind of more corporate sanitized version of that, they should like use their celebrity of like Duncan people like that, like the painting side of the community stuff. They should use that as a way of just talking about what the hobby is instead of it being like this. They they often like. One of the weirdest things that Games Workshop do is they they represent some of the best diversity in their hobby in their fucking product adverts for like who plays Warhammer. Yeah. Have you ever seen those? Yeah, yeah they actually are really interesting. Like, like I've seen. They are actually diverse. There's always yeah. one white male though. There's yeah, always one white male. Yeah, but it's it's. It, oh, okay. I think they should use this that that kind of. Yeah, get rid of them all. But they should really just talk about how they don't want. You know, they're they're not an intolerant place. Like tolerance is like oh, it should push all like the narrative, the the interesting side of the hobby, and try and take attention away from what seems to come down to the, everything, which is like which is the best arm. I just don't think that's very useful, but I, I guess that's the big that's where all the money comes from is people jumping on that hot meta every nine months. Um, I would love to see them do something that like, sure. takes a stand against that. Okay, uh, Danny, what's something that you would like to see from Games Workshop? I just think that, you know, clarity and like, you know, an actual message and like, like, again, like just a, an actual message and a description of what their plans are and what their goals are, because it, it seems to me that like, you know, I think that they are going down the right path, but the issue is, is that people will still keep criticizing them because they're it's a communication issue. It's like they're in a bad relationship where it's like you see them trying to, you know, um, do things and respond to criticism, but they're doing it in such a way as to kind of ex- almost exclude the community in a sense where it's just like you you basically don't answer anything for it, but then all of a sudden you you come out with something and it's like come comes out of left field. And like all these people have been criticizing you for so long, have maybe I've already left the hobby that would not have left if they would have known that you were still trying to do this and we were listening to them. That's the biggest thing is just communication. Just having a having like a a memo of like a road plan, like a game plan for the future, and just talking about what every single step along the way. What do you what do they want to do? What are their goals? And it doesn't even mean like you have to give away like trade secrets where it's like, oh yeah, here's the fucking um, patent model or patent number for our uh, fucking models or whatever. And here's our, all of our supply lines or whatever. The, the whole point is mostly about just clar- clarity, not only among um, what their goals are with like inclusivity and in design, but also with workers and like, you know, do they use... Chinese workers and how are what are working conditions in those factories as well? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Great, Danny. Uh, Alex, and your final thoughts. Uh, what do you want from Games Workshop? 
I want them to uh, release dedicated workout channels for each of the Chaos Gods. Um, so, like, <laughs> the corn, it would just be like eight rep bicep curls staring to the mirror in total rage. Um, I, and for Zinch, I'm guessing that it would be CrossFit because, you know, doing 99 reps until your muscles get so confused they snap. Um, but, you, you know, um, I, I want to see some uh, some Chaos Fitness going. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that was Elliot Hulse making the new uh, Games Workshop. Uh, the new Elliot Hulse, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, thank you so much, Luke, for coming on. Uh, this was Excellent. great. Uh, I, I feel like <laughs> even with even with with an hour and a half, I feel like we barely scratched the surface of how we could really uh, talk about all of this. So maybe we'll, if you'd be interested, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, but for, before then, uh, where can they find you? Where can they find you? Where can they read your stuff? And where can they see your models? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter um, at Full of Feathers. Um, that's just- I'm going to try to spell it F-U-L-L-O-F-F-E-A-T-H-E-R-S. Um, I oft retweet my stuff on there. I don't, I post a lot on Twitter, but it's generally just retweets, liking JoJo memes, like that. I am <laughs> Discord. That's a cash uh, that I want to see. Yeah. I am also on the Discord at the minute as uh, Dynamic Calories. Um, so I might post there more. I think I've already posted a couple of minis in there and people have been like very, very nice about them. So that's really cool um yeah that's where you can find me okay yeah uh yeah thank you so much for, for coming on luke and uh, of course the discord, thank you the, the discord and the reddit that he's referring to is of course the sigmarxism discord and sigmarxism reddit uh feel free to message one of the moderators of the sigmarxism reddit who will happily give you an invite as long of course you have the certain whereabouts and you prove that you um you're not a t- farsight stand we don't accept those into the discord uh <laughs> Of course. And if you want to listen to more of your podcast, we can find Sig Marxism at SigMarxism.com. S-I-G-M-A-R-X-I-S-M. You can find them on all of your favorite places you like to listen to your podcast, including iTunes, Spotify, pot, uh, <laughs> I said podcast, <laughs> uh, SoundCloud, all of your favorite places. Uh, give us a like on Twitter. We, of course, are at SigMarxismPod. And, of course, give full, at Full of Feathers uh, Luke follow and read his work retweet his insta give him an instagram follow him get him to that 4k and then he'll stop uh he'll, he'll stop showing up in the podcast that's the only yeah. reason why because he hasn't really <laughs> <followed him. laughs> that's 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 the long plan you've got me yeah I've, we've we've added you this whole episode has been a con where we talk about the interesting things and like you know commodification and stuff but it turns out it's all just a grift and he's actually just wanting this because this is i mean i mean this podcast is a grift so this i mean we can't level. judge it's a fuck terrible grift because we don't even have a patreon or anything what the fuck <laughs> this is yeah, the worst yeah. grift ever oh i thought they just send they just send the money into in the u.s post mail i thought that's how it works uh no. soros bucks for this isn't yeah, trolling soros. just grifting for free yeah okay okay all right, all right. <laughs> All right, all right, this is going to devolve into pure chaos. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the episode. Thank you, Luke, for hopping onto the episode. SigMarxism.com, give us a listen. And as always, nationalize Games Workshop and be more open and kick the Nazis out. Optimize social media synergy search optimization of Instagram. Assassinate James Workshop.
can I just quickly get ahead of the the scandal? I did indeed say Eisenberg instead of Eisenhorn. 